I'm Carmen, and this is Live, Laugh, Murder, True Crime Only Edition. Today's episode will be hosted by just me, Carmen. There is no guessing game on today's episode, and it is all about facts. I thought about a little true crime only with Carmen because my beautiful co-host Joanna is not here with me today, but maybe that's too much. So true crime only, I think I've said it. You guys know why you're here. And if you saw the title of the episode, you know who we are here to discuss. I hope you enjoy this variation of our show. Please continue to tag us on our Instagram and share our show. On behalf of Joanna and I, thank you for all of your support so far. If it's okay with you, please rate us and share our show. It means the world to us to be able to share good content with you, and it's so awesome that you guys are loving it. So on that note, I hope you're ready for a story today. Now, I also want to say I'm a little under the weather. I have a little Sophia Bush-esque vibe to my voice today, if that's okay with you. I hope it is because it is what it is at this point. I'm doing the best I can and that's all we can ask for. So today I'm going to tell you the story of a man who has fascinated the true crime community for decades and that is Edmund Kemper. Before I continue, I want you to be aware that the contents of this episode are graphic and for mature audiences only. There are very disturbing details and I will not be holding back. So trigger warning for sure on all types of aspects, really. I'm aware there are countless podcasts and documentaries and books on Edmund Kemper. And with that being said, I really do hope that you enjoy my take on it. So please reach out, let me know, and let me know if you want another true crime only edition in the future. Edmund Kemper. The reason why we're here is a man who has truly slipped through the cracks of society and at a time when the term serial killer didn't even truly exist. For my take on Ed Kemper, I'd like to begin at the end. April 21st, 1973. Edmund was about 25 years old. He is at his mother's home. Big Ed, as he is called, phones his mother's bestie, Sally, to invite her over for dinner. Sally eagerly accepts the invite. I assume she may be thinking a dinner invitation at her good old friend's house is a fantastic idea and happily heads over. Once Sally enters the home, she is greeted by Edmund, who welcomes her into the house. Then Edmund proceeds, well, to strangle her out of nowhere, killing her. He then stuffs her body into a closet, my friends, but not the same closet as the other decapitated body he has hidden in the home. The decapitated body being that of his mother. The United States has more serial killers than anywhere else, and Edmund Kemper is listed as one of 2,625. According to the book I read based on him, titled The True Story of the Brutal Co-Ed Butcher by Ryan Becker, to be a serial killer, you must have murdered at least three people, have done so in the United States, and have some sort of common characteristics. Edmund certainly fits this profile. The FBI has 14 characteristics that increase the chances someone will become a serial killer. And I decided I'm going to read them to you. Number one, over 90% of serial killers are male. 
I guess I'm off the list. Joanna, we're safe. Number two, serial killers tend to be intelligent with IQs in the bright normal range. Number three, serial killers tend to do poorly in school, have trouble holding down jobs, and often work as unskilled laborers. Number four, serial killers tend to come from markedly unstable families. Number five, as children, many serial killers were abandoned by their fathers and raised by domineering mothers. Number six, families of serial killers often have criminal, psychiatric, and alcoholic histories. Number seven, serial killers often hate their fathers and mothers. Number eight, serial killers are commonly abused as children, psychologically, physically, and sexually. The abuse is oftentimes by a family member. Number nine, many serial killers spend time in institutions as children with records of early psychiatric problems. Number 10, serial killers generally have a high rate of suicide attempts. Number 11, <clears throat> excuse me, from an early age, many serial killers are intensely interested in voyeurism, fetishism, and sadomasochistic pornography. Number 12, more than 60% of serial killers wet their beds beyond the age of 12. Number 13, many serial killers are fascinated with starting fires. And my friends, number 14, serial killers are involved in sadistic activity or tormenting small creatures. Edmund fits 12 of the 14 of those characteristics. As I go through my storytelling, I'm curious as to who among us will be able to decipher which of these 14 can be attributed to fucking Ed. Well, in the 1970s, when the FBI Behavioral Science Unit was developing criminal profiling, shout out Mindhunter on Netflix, sidebar, I read that there will be a season three. If you watch that show, we've been waiting forever, so you're welcome. Anyway, so during this time, it was originally thought that serial killers were typically loners by the media. That was what they portrayed. However, this unit of the FBI determined this is in fact not true. Edmund had a social life. He functioned as a person, went to school, was highly intelligent, and held jobs. This, however, was, as we know, just one side of him. While most of us have hobbies like fucking crocheting, playing softball and community teams, or just the hobby of snacking while binging TV shows. People like Edmund have a side hustle of, for a lack of tact, killing. Kemper was not able to separate violence from sexual gratification. Killing was the only way he felt safe to connect with young college women. Now, let's take you to the beginning with Ed. I started at the end. Let's go back to the beginning. Edmund Kemper was born December 18th, 1948, in Burbank, California. He weighed huh, 13 pounds at birth. I'm a mother of two girls. Joanna and I are both moms. And I can, can't tell you, or I can tell you, this is quite large for a newborn baby. Edmund was the middle child, and maybe that's where it all stemmed from. Kidding, middle children, obviously. Um, Joanna and I talked about nature versus nurture on a previous episode, and that theme seems to play a part here too. Did Edmund have ongoing psychological trauma as a child that made him who he became? Well, let's keep going and we'll just, we'll get through this together, as stated. Let's just hold my hand. I'll walk you through. I will lead you. So Edmund's parents were known to be very strict disciplinarians. They did not, 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 not have the best marriage. His mother was known to be, quote unquote, difficult. 
so much so that there are reports she may have suffered from a borderline personality disorder, untreated, obviously. The abuse she laid out on Edmund, though, is far more than anyone would call difficult. Kemper's dad had at one point stated that being married to Clarnell, Edmund's mother, had more of an impact on him than his 396 days fighting in a war, which says a lot if you ask me. Um, Edmund's dad was a World War II vet and worked at the Pacific Proving Grounds, where he tested nuclear weapons and later became an electrician. While he was close to his father, he rarely got any affection from his mother. And this was just the beginning of what fueled a rage in him. Almost a prequel of what was to come, Clarnell would tease Edmund constantly. She would call him gay, saying she needed to toughen him up as an excuse for being a fucking asshole to him. At eight years old, she ordered him to, get this, kill his pet chicken. And at that point, I want to stop and say I'm sorry to my dear friend Andrina, because I know you would hate that fact. Back to the story. Well, not only did he, she make him kill his pet chicken, she served it to him at, his, at a meal to eat. Edmund's parents later divorced in 1957 when he was nine years old. They moved to Montana, and his anger started to really come out. For example, at 10, he buried the family cat alive. Is that all? Absolutely fucking not. Because later he dug up the cat, the dead cat, and played with it. You get it. He played with the dead cat. This wasn't the last time he did things like this, and he was also lying about his acts, which he thought of as successful lying, really, according to Edmund. This is also when he started fantasizing and daydreaming about hurting people. Let me stop there. When I was a preteen, I remember fantasizing about many things. None of them included killing animals or hurting people. Many of my fantasies were about being a part of fucking No Doubt and singing with Gwen Stefani, but that did not happen for me. Anyway, whatever. Obviously, I eventually learned, you know, what works for me. Edmund, what worked for him was not okay. To finish off talk of his childhood, Edmund's mother truly treated him poorly. She abused her son. She made him sleep in the basement of the home, alone. The basement wasn't one of those Pinterest-worthy basements you see nowadays. It was an empty room with a mattress with a single light bulb, and it was rat-infested. Not acceptable behavior. I wish I could retroactively call DCF on her. So after all this, at 14 years old, Edmund ran away. He wanted to join his father, who had left his mother. Edmund was surprised to see his dad had basically started a whole new life and had a new baby with a new wife. He did stay with his dad for a short time, but he didn't want him there. So he packed up and went back to Clarnell. Upon returning home, she didn't want him either. And uh, at this time, Clarnell was also planning to remarry. So off Edmund went with the last place he could go to live with his paternal grandparents in North Fork, California at their ranch. This was a small town with only one grocery store at the time. I would hope that this was a happy time in Edmund's life, and I wish I could tell you that. I could imagine his grandparents taking him in and loving on him endlessly. Unfortunately, this is not what happened. Sadly, Grandma emasculated Edmund, just like his mother had done all his life. At this time, Edmund was still killing animals, so much so that it caught the attention of his grandfather, who at one point took his gun away for a short time, as a punishment for killing animals just for the sake of killing. And why did Edmund have a gun? I don't know. 
This leads to his first murder. One morning in August of 1964, Edmund woke up and went to the kitchen he shared with his grandparents to get something to eat. Being that his grandmother wasn't exactly kind to him, she commented on him sleeping in and being useless around the house. Edmund, having major issues with women, and especially women who have authority over him, didn't care for this. He then simply went to his room, grabbed his 22 caliber rifle, walked right to his grandmother, and shot her three times, killing her. First through the head, then two times in her back. He then stuffed her body in the closet, feeling satisfied with himself. And I don't know what it is about fucking Edmund Kemper and stuffing bodies in the goddamn closet. Anyway, not the point. Edmund then, thinking of his grandfather, who was at the grocery store, couldn't stand the thought of him coming home to see his dead wife. So when grandpa came home, he went outside, waited for him. Then, as grandpa was getting out of his vehicle, Edmund shot and killed him. He killed his grandparents at 15 years old. What did he do next? Did he run? Did he call the cops? Did he hide and go on with his life? Neither. He called Clarnell, his mother, on the phone. Clarnell told him to call the fucking police. Not a direct quote. And he simply sat and waited for them without a fight. When interrogated and asked why he killed his grandmother, he stated, quote, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill her. Now, it's important to know that Edmund Kemper is very smart. He's highly intelligent, with an IQ of near genius level at 136. Being this smart and at the age of 15 when he was evaluated after the murders, Edmund was labeled a paranoid schizophrenic. He was placed at, oh, good Lord, I wish Joanna was here. Help me with the pronunciation, people. A Tescadero State Hospital, which is a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. And I hope I pronounced it correctly. This is where he lived for the next four years. During the time Edmund spent here, I found it quite horrifying that the facility had about 1,000, excuse me, 1,600 patients, some of them being murderers and sex offenders including Edmund. The hospital had only 10 psychiatric staff members at the time. I know there are terrible stories of state hospitals, and I can't help but think of American Horror Stories Asylum. I mean, any excuse to talk about AHS. Either way, this seems like it just does not work and the numbers don't add up. Edmund ended up becoming loved by the staff. He was a people person, Somehow, through his fucked up life, he really learned to garner the trust of others. He even made friends with his counselor. They became so friendly that Edmund was entrusted with the position of assisting the staff. Due to this, he had access to all kinds of psychological tests and papers. And this is how he educated himself on how to outsmart the doctors. He convinced them he was rehabilitated and he was released to his mother's care in 1969. Edmund was released, at the, and the hospital just said goodbye. He was 21 years old, and he was going to live with the person he loathed more than anyone, Clarnell. And his record was expunged, being that he was a minor at the time of his crime. How the fuck does murder get expunged? Make it make sense. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. I... I mean, to the horror of most, was arrested when I was 16 years old 
oh my God, was it awful. And it was for shoplifting at the mall. It was, you know, I wasn't put into a cell or anything like that. And I was picked up quickly and I had to do community service and I learned from my mistake. And my record was expunged being that I was a minor and now I just put it out for the world to know. Surprise, surprise to those of you who know me. Well, if you really know me, then you know the story. Anywho, murder? Expunged? I guess I need a read up on my laws. I... I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's beyond me. But this again was a very long time ago. So maybe things have changed. Back to the story. Clarnell, when she received Edmund, continued the same patterns as when he was a child, demeaning him, talking down to him, emotionally abusing him. I mean, who can physically abuse this tall ass fuck? At the time, she worked in an office at the University of California, and that's going to come into play. Edmund actually attended community college, not there, but he attended community college elsewhere and held small jobs, which was part of his parole, having a job. He even wanted to be a state trooper, but couldn't because I haven't mentioned this yet, but Edmund was too fucking big to be a part of the state troopers at the time. He was six foot nine and 300 pounds. Okay, Brett, if you're listening, Brett asked me if Edmund suffered from gigantism. And I was like, what? And I've been thinking about that ever since. I I don't know. Did he? Those of you in the true crime community, I mean, did he? Gigantism, six foot nine, 300 pounds. Okay, I keep going off in tangents. Let's, let's stay focused. So apparently to be a state trooper at the time when Edmund was trying you must be between the weight of 211 and 234 pounds. I actually tried researching if this is still a rule in California. I couldn't find a true answer based on my limited research. I basically was able to find out that the requirements have been adjusted over time to explain that you must be able to pass agility tests, which I think is pretty standard, and operate as an officer without physical accommodations, i.e. driving a vehicle without special services, being able to chase down and arrest people, without any accommodations. Please let me know if I'm wrong here. This is so interesting to me. So over time, Edmund was ready to move out of his mother's house and get his own place. He worked for the Department of Transportation. He couldn't be a police officer, but he could issue your driver's license. And Edmund actually saved some money and got an apartment with a roommate. This didn't last long, though. He ended up back living with Clarnell. Mommy dearest. And if Joanna was here and this was a typical Live, Laugh, Murder episode, I think I would have called this episode Mommy Dearest. From what I researched, though, Edmund seemed to go back and forth a little from having his own place to living with Clarnell. He was interested in women and in meeting women. However, Edmund had never dated, had never been kissed. He missed out. Think about it. He missed out on his adolescent time. And now as an adult, he's emotionally stunted. I mean, he was incarcerated at 15. Those are the years when a lot of people experiment and really test out those muscles of dating. Around this time, since as far as, far as I can tell, Edmund wanted to be with women, but he didn't know how. So he started watching them. One source I found stated that he was interested in voyeurism, which is watching women and 
you know, watching as much as you can, watching them undress, watching them have sex. And honestly, I have no idea how far he went with this. He lived in Santa Cruz at the time, and he was basically a peeping Tom. And he started having violent fantasies again, not toward animals, though, but toward women. His lead up to a full-blown, to being a full-blown serial killer was a progression. This did not happen overnight for Edmund Kemper. He started out by picking up hitchhikers, women, only women, just giving them rides. Then it led to him having purchased a gun and a knife and handcuffs. But it was a long time before he used them. He would just give these young, petite women rides. He would chit-chat with them, gain their trust, and drop them off at their destination unharmed. This only lasted so long, obviously. As Edmund continued to drive women around, he would imagine what he would do to them. This led to him rehearsing how he would kill a woman hundreds of times. For over a year, he went on like this. This finally came to a head. May 7th, 1972. Where were you? Seriously. Um, I was born in 1984, so I wasn't quite there yet, but Edmund fucking was. On this day, Edmund picked up two hitchhikers at once, and they were friends. Marianne and Anita. They, the two were on their way to Berkeley, California, and never arrived. This is because this fuckface of a human, Edmund, obviously took the girls, and he took them to a hidden spot. He tied up Anita and left her in the car. This way he could focus on one victim at a time. Then, using his gun as a, stare, a scare tactic, excuse me, he took Marianne for a walk in the woods. Not just a pleasant hike, like a fucking, this is my gun, let's go. And he's 6'9". Could you imagine? Just think about it for a second. Process the thought. Processing over, here we go. This is when he stabbed Marianne with his knife in the woods. Then, stunned at his own actions, it's reported that he stumbled back to his vehicle, found Anita, and stabbed and killed her too. After his grandparents, this was Edmund's first kill in a slew of oncoming ones. He hadn't stabbed anyone before because, remember, he shot his grandparents. So he reported that he was shocked by how long it took for Anita to die, being that the knife wasn't as adequate as he'd hoped it'd be. I also read that he was shocked at how the knife didn't go through her clothes as he had hoped. Yeah, it fucking, yeah, Edmund, stop. Whew. So Edmund placed both girls' bodies in his trunk and was in a daze at what he'd done. He was panicky and shocked at himself. After gathering his wits, he took both girls to his home where he dismembered their bodies and beheaded them. And this is a trend for Edmund from here on out. Although he decided to keep their heads for himself for a bit, he disposed of their bodies in a nearby ravine. Edmund, and trigger warning, as I stated in the beginning, proceeded to use the heads of his victims and orally rape them. Dead, decapitated mouths. I'll mind you. I'll let you figure out the rest of that on your own. Eventually, after playing with their heads for a while, he disposed of them too. Edmund is, is because he's still alive, spoiler alert, very disturbed. 
Now, as mentioned in episode four of our podcast, the 70s were a wild time. Serial killers were just being identified, labeled, and profiling was a brand new practice. Edmund was not the only dangerous man on the streets, but let's let's save that for another day. Today is about this monster, and I swear to goodness, I probably could have done a whole podcast, and, I'm, and I know that they're out there, just about serial killers in the 1970s. So months later, Edmund really wanted to strike again. He picked up a young 15-year-old girl, whose name you might have heard before, Aiko Ku, who was, you guessed it, or maybe you didn't, hitchhiking. And boy, am I glad this has gone out of practice in my lifetime. Having been born in the 80s, I totally understand why my mother was so freaked out when I was a child. In her adolescence, there were so many stories of maniacs out there. So Aiko, Aiko, excuse me, she was heading to dance class and needed a ride. She had originally waited for the bus, but then, you know, it was taking long, so she decided to hitchhike. And as she got into the car of Edmund, he uh, seemed a little more confident. He had done a kill now, and he realized he was a fumbling idiot, and he just kind of, you know, was like, I got this this time. Well, while on the, while on the drive, Iko spotted his gun and started to freak out. And there's a lot more detail into the actions here and how she tried to save her life, and it's very fascinating. Long story short, Edmund started to lie, and he lied quick. He told her a fucked up story, said that he was going to shoot himself, and that's why he had a gun. He also promised her he wouldn't hurt her as long as she stayed calm and did not alert anyone. Asshole. This was all a lie. Edmund attacked her eventually, taped up her mouth, and suffocated her by plugging her nostrils with his fingertips until she passed out. Thinking he had done the job, this mammoth of a man was shocked when the tiny Iko came to. Edmund wasn't having it, so he then strangled her to death. Now he had another woman in his trunk and felt very happy with himself. This is where I want to stop and add a fun fact. Actually, a horrific fact? You know what I mean. Edmund had made friends in the town he lived in. He had buddies. Remember, he wanted to be an officer. He often hung out with his local buddies at the local bar called the jury room. He chatted with them. And who were these buddies? Local law enforcement. To the police, he was Big Ed. And to Edmund, they were his sounding board. He got to listen to them, chatter, and know if anyone had picked up on his crimes. On the day he kidnapped and murdered Aiko, he stopped to hang out with his buddies at the bar. And then he stopped to visit his mother. The whole time, her body was in the trunk of his car. He then took her to his home and did the same thing with her as he did with Marianne and Anita. Edmund had sex with her corpse, dismembered her, and disposed of her body parts. The very next day, the very next day, he had an appointment with his psychiatrist per his parole. They liked that he was in community college, actively looking for a job, and his answers to their questions were all pleasing. He was following all the rules. He was said as to not be a danger to society and seemed normal. Meanwhile, he had just murdered three women. You know, in preparation for this story, I thought I would be totally fine. 
I researched the story, I read the books, I wrote the script, but in reading it to you guys, it's really, really hard. It's tough. But you know what? As I said in the beginning, let's get through it together. (laughs) This is just before Edmund slipped through the cracks again. Edmund had purchased another gun after this, and there was a sergeant at the time who was ordered to check up on the gun purchase, which in some cases is standard practice. Sergeant Alufi needed to check up and make sure all was on the up and up with this weapons purchase. Since Edmund was a juvenile when he murdered his grandparents and his record was expunged, no red flags came up and he was allowed to keep the gun. He was allowed to keep the gun. After this, January 8th, 1973, Edmund committed his next heinous act. Another hitchhiker got in his car and Cindy Shaw was taken back to his mother's home this time. He shot and killed her, dismembered her, disposed of her body parts, except for, except for her head. He took Cindy's head and after doing God knows with it, what with it, he buried it in his mother's yard right in front of his bedroom window. Shortly after Cindy's body parts were found washed up ashore of the ocean around Santa Cruz with no indication of who'd done it. Where is Miami Metro and Dexter Morgan when we need them. Sorry, but if you listen to my podcast, you know I'm obsessed with Dexter. Meanwhile, he was still hanging out with his police buddies at the local bar, the fucking jury room. And if that isn't the perfect name for a cop bar, I don't know what is. The University of Santa Cruz started noticing all the disappearances and they released a statement. And I actually have a copy of that statement here. You can probably hear me flipping through the pages so I can find it for you because I want to read it. Excuse me if you hear me rustling through the papers, but you'll be okay. So here's the statement. When possible, girls especially, stay in dorms after midnight with doors locked. If you must be out at night, walk in pairs. If you see a campus police patrol car and wave, they will give you a ride. Use the bus, even if somewhat inconvenient. Your safety is of utmost importance. If you are leaving campus, advise someone where you are going, where you can be reached, and the approximate time of your return. And then the next part, all caps, don't hitch a ride, please, three exclamation marks. Wow. Thank goodness for Uber, and it did not exist then, but I wish it did. A month later, February 5th, Edmund used his mother's, (laughs) remember I said that she worked at the university, He used her university parking pass, being that she worked there, as a way to enter and park at the college. This is where he offered a ride to Rosalind Thorpe. And then a little ways away, also picked up Alice Liu. And then I read that Alice saw Rosalind in the vehicle, and it made her more comfortable. I mean, Edmund was fucking Uber before there was Uber, but like Uber with a death sentence, asshole. The girls must have seen the notices about hitchhiking, but this was a university student. He had a parking pass. Why would he be dangerous, right? Wrong. I want to add that it is reported that this particular hunt, quote unquote, of Edmonds, because he did go out hunting this evening, was after a fight with his mother. The anger she caused him fueled his rage. I also read in my research that much of Edmund's hunts were a result of his anger or a fight with his mother. Edmund was so skilled now that during the drive, he whipped out his gun 
told Rosalind to look at something out the window. And when she turned her head to the right, as he is driving, he shot and killed her. While driving with Alice in the backseat. And poor Alice was freaking out. He quickly pulled over, shot her three times, then went back driving on his merry way. After finding a place to park, he wrapped them in blankets and placed their bodies in the trunk. For the second time, and for whatever sick reason, Edmund took the girls' bodies back to his mother's house, where he beheaded them, had sex with Alice's decapitated body, and after dismembering them, he disposed of their bodies in different places, making sure to have their heads and hands in different locations, hoping to avoid identification. A step further in this process, remember, he was smart. He was a very intelligent man. He is, excuse me, he's still alive. Highly intelligent. And before doing so, I should add, he did remove the bullets from their heads. Now, pardon me if you can hear the friggin' monsoon going on outside of my place and my house where I live, but it is pouring. And you know what? Maybe that's, uh, you know, a little theme here with talking about Edmund Kemper, so... I brought the rain. So the girl's remains were eventually found about a week later. Edmund later admitted that all of this (laughs) was practice. He was training for the one major kill of his life, his mother, Clarnell. April 21st, 1973, during the evening, Clarnell was home reading a paperback book when Edmund came into the home. Instead of a sweet hello, she berated him, like normal, which angered him. She was sick of him using her home and not taking enough responsibility in his life. She was sick of his bullshit and went to her room. I mean, at this time, I'd be sick of his bullshit too, but whatever. Edmund took this as his time to shine. The culmination of all he's been through with her, he had now overcome his victim mentality and felt the power rising up in him. He waited until she fell asleep, then crept into her bedroom and bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer to the head. Then he decapitated her like all the others. Not feeling like this was enough, he held her head in his hands and used the other hand to reach into the opening of her severed neck and ripped out her larynx, basically her vocal cords. I guess he felt she wouldn't be able to say shit to him any fucking more after this. Then he took the larynx and put it down. Joanna, close your ears because I know you're listening. Put her larynx down the garbage disposal. As this was happening, he was sprayed in the face by her flesh from the garbage disposal. And he later told detectives, and this is a quote, quote, that seemed appropriate as much as she'd she'd bitched, screamed, and yelled at me over the years. End quote. Was he done with her head? Absolutely fucking not. He decided to place it on his dresser and use it to play darts with. Then, in the most disturbing detail of this whole entire show, he had sex with his mother's corpse. Here he seemed to have a moment of realization that his mother's best friend might wonder where Clarnell had gone. And this is where we started at the beginning of our disturbing journey, in the beginning of this show. He decided she had to go as well. And this really is reminiscent to what happened with his grandparents, and I think you can pick up on it. So he invited Sally over and strangled her to death when she entered the home and then hid her body in the closet. He was done. His work was done. 
His killings were done. Now that mom was gone, he could stop. Edmund then figured since his work was finished, he could admit to his crimes. So he drove for a while all the way to Cal- uh, excuse me, Colorado, waited a bit, and after not hearing anything on the news, he fucking called the police from a payphone to turn himself in. Since Ed was their buddy, the police, it is unbelievable to me that, get this, they didn't take him seriously. He had to call multiple times, convincing them of his crimes. Eventually, they went to his house to investigate and found two dead bodies, dismembered bodies as well, and the most disturbing of all, as the decaying head of his mother sitting on the dresser. Edmund then calmly waited at the hotel for them to come pick him up. And he was arrested without a fight. Just like with his grandparents, he was ready to serve his time. He had turned himself in. Edmund Kemper was very cooperative with the police. He answered all their questions and offered up locations and details. It is well known that he liked to talk, and that he did. Later in an interview with Cosmopolitan Magazine, Edmund would speak of his conflicting feelings toward women. He said, quote, One side of me says, I'd like to talk to her, date her. And the other side says, I wonder how her head would look on a stick, end quote. He felt that if he were to come on to a woman, he would just be rejected. Practicing necrophilia led to zero rejection. As the women were dead and had no fucking choice. (sighs) During more interviews, Edmund also said he felt he lived in parallel realities. And I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. Which reminds me so much of Ted Bundy. It was like he lived in two worlds. He would interact calmly with people and act like everything was kosher. Meanwhile, in more than one instance... He had a woman's decapitated head in his possession. Picturing saying hello to the local dude who lives in your apartment building or on your street and he's holding, you know, a duffel bag. What the fuck is in that duffel bag? Don't ask. May 7th, 1973, Edmund Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first degree murder. Kemper would have wanted the death penalty, wanted to be tortured to death. Instead, he was sentenced to eight concurrent life sentences. The sentencing took place November 1973. At this time, California didn't offer the death penalty. He was 25 years old and found guilty on all eight counts of first-degree murder. Edmund Kemper remained happy in prison, living his life. He actually denied parole meetings in 2007 and 2012 for that reason, also stating he doubted anyone would even consider letting him out of prison anyway. Prison is his home. It's all he knows at this point. All his needs are met, he has friends, and his mother is gone. Death to Clarnell. Hashtag. He is a model prisoner, has hobbies, records books on audio for the blind. He has currently voiced, and this is crazy, over 5,000 hours of narration. Imagine, I mean, if you listen to books on tape or books on audio, whatever, I'm old. Was that story read by Edmund Kemper? Edmund has loved being able to talk about it all. He was one of the men interviewed in the beginning stages of the FBI's behavioral science unit, as mentioned. He's been the inspiration for many pop culture references. He influenced the movie American Psycho. He influenced a Dean Koontz novel titled Intensity, as well as was part of influence for Buffalo Bill and Science of the Lambs. 
He is awful. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Here we go again. He is also featured as a character in Mindhunter, which I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, and by the way, the actor who plays him, spitting image of the real Edmund Kemper. Edmund Kemper is currently 73 years old and is still in prison. Sayonara, Edmund Kemper. You're disgusting. You're a piece of shit. Your story is fascinating, yes, but you scare the fucking shit out of me, dude. Why? And that is it. That is my story. If you're still here after all that, thank you. Thank you for listening. And I honestly hope you liked my take on this very well-known story. And you know what? If it's new to you and you really gave it a shot, I mean, I hope you enjoyed it. All I want to do here at Live, Laugh, Murder is give good content that people enjoy listening to while they do whatever you lovely people do. This is a wild journey. It's been great so far. It's been a blast. And I hope Joanna and I can just continue doing this for as long as possible. You can expect to hear from us in two weeks as we are a bi-weekly podcast. Joanna and I will be back with our typical shenanigans. I hope you enjoyed our first true crime only edition. So please reach out. Let me know. Let me know what you thought. Uh, if you hated it, let me know. If you loved it, let me know. If Whatever. I had fun. I think it was great. And the story is fascinating. Anyway, find us on Instagram at live, laugh, murder podcast. Email me at live, laugh, murder pod at gmail.com. And if you have listener tales, fact or fiction, send it on over to my email. Love you guys. And remember to live, laugh, and never murder. On that note, bye.